0: 16, and we're going to uh, get going here. Romans 16, verse 1, I commend unto you, Phoebe, our sister, which is at, which is a servant of the church, which is at Censoria, that you receive her in the Lord as become a saint, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you. For she hath been a succor of many, and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who hath for my life laid down their own necks, but whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well-beloved, and then off he goes. Okay? And I'm not going to butcher the names and so forth, just simply because, uh, you know, I, I personally stumble through them, but I have that there as we're going to, Last week we kind of introduced this at the end, so we're going to reintroduce it uh, and look here at the the first 16 verses. And uh, obviously we're not going to look at each verse, um, and we're just going to look really at the one couple here, Priscilla and Aquila, because Paul uses Priscilla and Aquila to lay out, to demonstrate the character of all of the 27 named individuals. So just real quick, the the breakdown of the chapter: the first 16 verses, Paul's uh, personal salutation, his personal expression of love and appreciation for the folks, and then in verse 17, uh, 18, 19, and 20, he's going to give a warning uh, to the Romans uh, about the adversarial attack, um, about the and, and again. The warning is for the protection for the saints, but also for the protection of the doctrine. So he's going to lay that out. Then in verse 21 to 24, he's, uh, others are going to uh, say hello to the saints at Rome. If you look there at verse 22, I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, saluteth you. And the Lord, obviously Paul wrote it. He had a secretary I would imagine that at this point in time in Acts 20, which is where Romans is written, he's been beat up so much that he probably, his handwriting is probably really shaky. Um, so he has a secretary and uh, who does it and who takes care and helps through all of it. So, uh, and then in verse 25 to 27, as we conclude the epistle, Paul commends the Romans to the edification process. And these last three verses are, uh, they contain a tremendous amount uh, a rich doctrinal information that we need to have on board as we leave for Romans and we move into 1 Corinthians. And uh, we'll see the connection to that as we get down there. Um, also, by the way, always remember what Paul's goal is, chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, I want to establish you with the doctrine, that mutual faith. And by 16, they're stable. Verse 25, now to him that has the power to establish you. So, chapter one, I'm going to set you up. We're going to walk down through four pillars of doctrine. Now, I'm ready to commend you to, to life in Christ and the grace life and so on. But as we start the, the chapter, again, uh, these first 16 verses, we're not going to look at each verse because we would be here, and there's really no need, because there's not a lot of information in the Scriptures about these folks. If you will go back up and look at verse 7. Uh, salute Androcinus and Juna, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. See that? Greet, uh, salute uh, Apelles, verse 10. Salute them which are of Aristopoulos. How, that's all we know about these people. We don't know any more. There isn't anything, and even when you get into the commentaries, the commentaries literally are guessing at when they give information. If you come over to verse 13, Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. And again, that's not that Paul's mom and Rufus' mom are the same. These are expressions of endearment, of love, it's, it's almost like Rufus's mom took care of me as well. And it, I had a, growing up, I had a real good friend, and his mom was like a second mom, if you will. And that's really what he's talking, brethren, kinsmen, and so forth, household. But you see Rufus, you know, come over to Mark 15. Mark 15. Because we do get a kind of a glimpse at Rufus Mark 15, but it, again, it's not a matter-of-fact issue here. It's more of a maybe is, maybe isn't. But it's odd that Rufus shows up here in Mark 15. Uh, if you start in verse 16, the soldiers led him away into the hall called Peritrom, and they called together the whole band, and they clothed him with purple and plated a crown of thorns and put it above his, about his head, and began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! So where are we? We're at Calvary. He's getting ready to go. And they smote him on the head with the reed and did spit upon him and bowing their knees, worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him and put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. And they compelled one Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. That's the only other place that we see the name Rufus. So then obviously when Paul says, salute Rufus, well, maybe it's just, maybe now this is the grown-up child. The, his son's with him, his brother Alexander and Rufus, and they bring him to Galgotha and so forth. So when you come back to Romans 16, again, I'm, I don't want to try to, we're, we're, a, great, a safety measure is when Scripture is silent, we need to be silent. If Scripture doesn't explicitly say, I mean, we are we can talk about Rome and what's going on and the people, you know, and the politics. Why? Because we've got a history book that tells us about that, but not Scripture, see. So there's 27 individuals listed here. And again, not a lot of information about them. Yet their names appear in the Word of God. And that's tremendous. And that that is a tremendous testimony to Paul's interest in people he's never met, but yet they are members of the body of Christ. Obviously, he's had uh, correspondence with them. Come over to 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians 11. He, he, He has a personal interest in these folks. He's never met them. Yet he tells us about them. And he's going to do it by, by, tell, by reminding of us of Aquila and Priscilla. Now, there's a lot of information about Aquila and Priscilla. They're named six times. They're in four different places. We're going to go look at them. And we see there who they are. And he uses them as a way of exemplifying the character of the twenty six twenty five named. name. Okay? 2 Corinthians 11, if you look down at, he starts, there's a great list there in starting in verse 22 about all that's happened to him. Then if you come to verse 28, besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. So evidently Paul ha- has had uh, um, a writing, you know, a correspondence with these folks. So when you come back to Romans 16, He's going to begin to talk to us about uh, their work, their spiritual character. Um, He's going to talk about their faithfulness, their loyalty to him, but also their loyalty to the sound doctrine. And he does it through using Aquila and Priscilla, verse 3. By the way, Phoebe, okay, she's our sister. There, There are 27 individuals named, There's at least three groups, identifiable churches. Verse 3, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 5, likewise greet the church that is in their house. So Aquila and Priscilla have a church in their home. If you come over to verse 14, okay, you salute and he lists those guys and the brethren which are with them. Verse 15, salute. Here's another group and all the saints which are with them. If you go back up to verse 1, there's the church which is at Censoria. That's Corinth area. So she's traveling. He writes the book in Corinth, Acts 20, gives it to Phoebe. Phoebe takes it to the church there to the churches at Rome. Okay, probably with Priscilla and Aquila first because of their listing first, but no one really knows. If you look at verse 16, Salute one another with the holy... Salute the churches of Christ. I'm sorry, the churches of Christ salute you. So you've got, uh, well, verse 23, Gaius, my host, and of the whole church, saluteth you. So you've got a number of local manifestations of the body there at Rome and in other territories, that are listed here that begins to help with the crazy notion that to do church you have to meet in the home we'll talk a little bit about that later and there's a big church house movement and uh, actually the church house movement came out of an Acts 2 Pentecostal viewpoint and it came from a bunch of guys who were losing members out of their church because what they found out was the Pentecostal stuff wasn't working so people were leaving so they had to figure out how to keep people So they said, if we're going to do church, we're going to go back to the first century. We're going to meet only in homes. We're going to sit on the floor. We're going to have cold coffee and cold. And just went nuts with it. And Paul never mandates there. There is a reason why. And by the way, the stuff in Romans 16 is where they use the church that's in their home, in their house. But there's a reason why these guys are meeting in a home and not in a church building. Okay. First of all. Christians were highly persecuted in the entirety of the Roman Empire. Christians could not own property until the Edict of Milan in 1313 AD. That's, you know, okay, right here, Edict of Milan, right? Again, we we got the history. We can pull it up and we can look at it. The point is, is as we go through this, so there's a lot of crazy stuff out there. Well, Paul's mandated. You know, Paul never mandated anything. He just said what? Greet the church that's in their home. See. You know what makes this build so what they by the way, what the home church people say is what we're doing is just a continual propagation of the Roman Catholic nonsense of and the and the mainline stream Christianity. What is this building? It's a building, it's a tool. That's all that it that's all that it is, you know. If, if it ever got to the place where we couldn't own the tool, what would we do? Sell the tool and go somewhere else. okay? So the thing is is when you get into the, the, a lot of the mythy stuff about that you, you just again, Paul never anywhere mandates that the church meets in a home. Actually he says look over at 1 Corinthians. Eleven. Look at just two verses, 8 verse 18, 1 Corinthians 11, 18. For first of all, when you come together, where? In the church. I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. Verse 20. When ye come together, therefore, into what? You see how he does he just says, when you come together where? In one place. He doesn't say 700 West 10th Street, and Tempe. He says, when you guys get together, what just happened? The church just got together. See, the church is the people, and I'm off topic here, and I didn't mean to get there. So, when the church comes together, what are we to do? Well, we're to study, we're to fellowship, and we have what our organism here does, our life here does. So, if you're hooked up into that and have fought people about that, if you want, see me and I can give you some help. Okay, just but they use this passage. Go back to Romans 16 because I got to get back on and talk about Cool and Priscilla, and as we do, we'll see that. So 27 individuals named, three identifiable specifically groups there in Rome, and then another of other uh, churches acknowledged. Um. And again, that's just a tremendous testimony of the life of the body and the activity of the body without Paul being there. These folks at Rome have never met him. He's never met them. Yet, what has happened? Well, take Phoebe. She's over in the Corinth area. She's met Paul. She's going to bring the book to him. So evidently there's some, you know, people hear about things and they all they got they get saved. Then they come in to understand the issues of right division and so forth, and off they go, dispensational Bible study. So it's just a tremendous testimony of not only the working of the word in them that believe, but also of of the activity and the life. And, And again, especially in Rome, when historically it's not good to be a Christian and to be identified that way. By the way, Rome had their... Their religious center was whatever god you wanted to worship, you worshiped. You set the totem, totem up outside and you're good to go. But they had a set of official ones. So anyone that wasn't worshiping the set official was deemed Christians. Again, that take take a term and broadenize it. You know, Roman Catholics are now called Christians. No, they're not. They're Catholics. History, Protestants, Catholics. It's always been that way. What do we have? The, the feel-good movement, a generation of let's just amalgamate it all together. And even Mormons now are Christians. Do you know at a time the Mormons were called an occult? An official documentation in the land, in newspapers? Jehovah's Witnesses, we're talking about, they're, they're called an occult. Well, see, if you say that, see, I just said that, now I'll get in trouble if somebody's, you know, wanting to stir the pot. But see, the thing is, is that's what was happening at Rome. Anyone that wasn't following the official church, the official governmental doctrine, they were deemed heretics and Christians most of the time. Look at verse 4. talking about Priscilla and Aquila, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the church. Think about Aquila. What did they do? They risked their own necks. But not only did they risk their own necks, Everybody in this list risk their necks because they're labeled Christians. And it's it's risky to be identified as a, as, as a Christian at this time, first century. So everybody you ever hear, oh, let's go back to the first century. I don't think you want to. They didn't have air conditioning. They didn't have microwaves. They didn't have coffee pots. You know, they didn't have the conveniences of life. Oh, the, I long for the good old days. Are you sure about that? You know? So, again, when you hear guys like that, there's always an agenda somewhere. And you just got to scope it out. Notice verse 10. Salute Apellus, approved in Christ. Salute them which are of Aristobulus household. There's a house there. Salute Herodian, my kinsmen. Greet them that be of the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. See, the household, from family. there's whole families there. Not a church, but a family Bible study, if you will, going on. And he, what's wonderful is he identifies both men and women. All are equally important to Paul in the work of the ministry. Now, in the local assembly... The men have roles, the ladies have roles, the children and so forth, and that's fine. But what do they do? They just naturally get there. Verse 7, he also identifies that salute Androcinus and Juna. By the way, Juna's a lady, it's his wife. My kinsman and my fellow prisoner who are of note among the apostles. By the way, who would that be? Note among the apostles, the 12. Okay. Who also were in Christ before me. Isn't that a wonderful thing? He identifies a group of Jews, my kinsmen. They are members of the believing remnant, the little flock. They have recognized and acknowledged the dispensational change. And instead of fighting Paul, what are they doing? They're helping, he, they're his fellow prisoners. They got records like he does for out preaching and teaching the word. See? So Paul isn't just, okay, only this group gets named. He's he's acknowledging, by the way, in Christ before me. Come over to John 14. It's just fascinating to me. In Christ before me. um, That thing in Christ, that's a redemptive term, a redemption term. They understood the dispensational change, John 14 just a, just a verse here, kind of think about this. Verse 20, the Lord is, he's in the upper room talking to the apostles, and he says, At that day you shall know that I am in the Father, and ye in me, and I in you. And that that's, he says it several times, okay? But in that day, by the way, that day is Acts 2, the day of Pentecost, all right? Because he's been talking about the Comforter up in verse 16. I, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. By the way, who's the first comforter? The Messiah, he was. Here comes another comforter, the Holy Spirit's coming, that you may be able to abide with you, that he may be, may abide with you forever. So when you come back here to Romans 16, I know verse 7 gets used a lot to say, see, the message of Paul was preached before because they're in Christ. No, all of humanity is in either one of two categories, in Adam or in Christ. That's where you're at. You pick the program, the believing remnant, the believers are in Christ. That's where they're at. The unbeliever is sitting in Adam. So Paul here, come back to Romans 16. Again, a a lot of just general things happening here, but yet he is going to use Aquila and Priscilla to demonstrate the character of all those listed here at Rome. But he's also going to do it to illustrate the doctrine of Romans working in people's lives. And again, Paul does this at the end of every epistle. He usually uses himself, where he will come in and he will say, See, you just learned that doctrine. Watch it work in flesh and blood. Watch it work in the shoe leather. See how it works. By the way, that that thing there, fellow prisoner, I I was thinking about those guys. Fellow prisoners, they've been in trouble with the law for preaching what? preaching the mess, the gospel they were preaching the gospel of the kingdom these guys were as soon as they see the dispensational change have the acts 15 meeting and all that and they get on and they're on board with paul what do you what gospel you think they're preaching now paul's gospel see they didn't they're not fighting and they're in trouble (laughs) lock them up throw the book at them and off they go Now, verse 3, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom now not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise greet the church that is in their house. This couple is a tremendous couple. And when the, the... You notice it's Priscilla and Aquila... If you'll notice as we go through this, they're mentioned six times in four different locations. When doctrine is being taught by this couple, it's Aquila and then Priscilla. But when it's taking care of Paul and the hospitality and the endearment, it's Priscilla and Aquila. Why? Because that's the order of the deliverance of the doctrine. It's the man's job to give the doctrine, the husband's job to give the doctrine, and, and so forth. So it's just an interesting thing here. Notice he says, all the churches of the Gentiles. I, I give a thank you to them, but you know what? Everybody else should too because of what this couple has done. They have a church in their house. They're always doing the work of the ministry. And it's very fascinating and it's very interesting to see that. Again, they're mentioned here in, in, in Romans. They're mentioned in Acts and 1 Corinthians and 2 Timothy come back over to 2 Timothy with me and let's just look at this couple the rest of the morning here and then uh, we can go have hot coffee and and cookies and turn the air conditioning on right <laughs> cuz what it it got it got to 80 so what are we doing cranking on the air it's hot already you know i'm just kidding 2 Timothy 4 look at verse 19 Salute Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. You see Prisca and Aquila? The end of the the scriptures, the last epistle written in 2 Timothy. And who's there? Prisca and Aquila. It's wonderful. Here they are. They're at the beginning. We'll see that in Acts 18. And yet at the end, where are they? They're still there. Hallmark characteristics of, these, of this couple is their faithfulness, their stay at itness. All the way to the end, Paul's in prison. He's about to be killed. And yet, where are they? What does he say to Timothy? Greet, greet. Faithful to, the, to, to Paul, faithful to the sound doctrine, loyal to the end. But you'll notice it's Prisca and Aquila. Now, Timothy, when he writes 2 Timothy, do you remember where Timothy is? He's at Ephesus. See 1 Timothy 1, verse 3, I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus. So where's Prisca and Aquila? They're at Ephesus. Paul's in jail in Rome, writes to Timothy, see, and he, and he brings up to Timothy, hey, greet, the, greet Prisca and Aquila, okay? Remember them. Pay attention to them. They're of a great help to you, Timothy, at Ephesus, because what's happened at Ephesus, the great church at Ephesus is now off in apostasy. They've left Paul, they've left the teaching. They're over here doing other things now. They have a form of godliness, but not the power thereof. They're, they're departing. That's why in chapter 1 there of 1 Timothy, he says, I charge them to teach no other doctrine. Why? What are they? They're teaching fables and endless genii. They're moved away. But you know who hasn't? Prisca and Aquila. Now, Prisca. Not Priscilla. Priscilla is her nickname. Priscilla means little Prisca when you look it up in the name book, okay? So Prisca is her more mature, familiar name. You know how you do that. You don't, you know, you, I would never call my mom this, but there was a lady that used to call my mom Cindy. Her name is Cynthia. You don't call my mom Cindy. You call her Cynthia. I call her mom, mother. I don't. Call, okay, but you, why? That's her formal name. My formal name is Charles Richard. I go by Rick. If you're a telemarketer or a sales guy, guess what you're going to call me? Charles. That's how I know you're not my friend. You call me Rick. So if you call me Charles, I'll ignore you. I used to do that in school. I'd say my friends call me Rick. Oh, Charles? I wouldn't. Charles? Rick? Hey, everybody here, you know? Why? Because it's just a, She's older now. She's mature. But notice how he says greet who first. Prisca, and then Aquila. Why? Paul's, that term of endearment here, he's at the end of his days, so he's using those, those great, familiar family name. He doesn't say, Miss Aquila, he says, Priscilla, Prisca. Come back to Romans 16. On your way, get Romans 16 on your way to Acts 18, but just greet Priscilla, and again, Little Prisca, so we're in her younger days. What you know? You know how that is. Elizabeth, Beth, Lizzie, different names. You know how that is. We do with that. But and the and and, at the funeral, it's Elizabeth. You know, blah blah blah. You know, it's not Lizzie. See, it's a formality. Why? We're we're older now. We're maturing, and so forth. Look, if you will, 16, verse 4, who have for my life laid down their own necks. Paul is going to deal with their spiritual courage. Come to Acts 18. He's going to demonstrate the spiritual courage that the folks listed in Romans 16 are going to have to deal with and go through as he looks here at Priscilla and Aquila. He's going to acknowledge their hospitality. He'll say it later in Romans 16. Gaius, mine host. See? Well, he's not at Rome. He's where? He's at Corinth writing the book. So Gaius is at Corinth. He's a host. I would imagine if he had gone to Rome the way he had planned to go to Rome, not in stocks and bonds, but to get there, he would have stayed where? At Priscilla and Aquila's home. Because that would have been the natural thing. They would have had the Paul room, room for, you know, Paul's room right there, you know. Okay, there used to be a lady, she's with the Lord now, Alice Candy. She was in John Versagan's church, and she had her rooms color coordinated purple, yellow, red, blue. I don't think she had a red room. She had a blue room, a purple room, and a yellow room. And we would go and we would stay. She would go, Rick, you're in the yellow room. Okay, cool. Dad was, you know, wherever. That would have been Aquila and Priscilla, the hospitality. These folks are amazing. They're an amazing couple. 18, verse 1. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy, with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. Now think about this. The first time they're introduced is right here. Where are? Where were they? Where, where's hometown for Aquila and Priscilla? Rome is. But Claudius kicked them out. Because they were who? A Jew. Now fascinating, we get back in Romans 16, where are they back in? They're back in Rome. So we're going to go Rome to Corinth, see, to... Ephesus, to Rome, to Ephesus, sorry. Rome. But when they go back to Rome, they don't go back to Rome as Jews. They go back to Rome as what? Members of the body of Christ. See? They, they, we'll see that as we go. They quickly lose their identity as being a Jew. But what happens in the body of Christ? There is no Jew nor Greek, Galatians 3 says. You lose that identity, why? Because the identity you need is the new creature in Christ. See? So they've taken, I, Aquila, born in Pontius, lately come from Italy. He's Where is Paul when he gets to, what is Paul's normal, verse 4, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. Aquila was a Jew. Like Saul of Tarsus was a Jew, a Pharisee. This this man knew his Bible, his Old Testament. That's why when he deals with Apollos here, we're going to see it. That was nothing hard for him to go deal with Apollos. See. So where did Paul, what's Paul's, as his manner was, where did he start? He started in the synagogues in the city. Why? Because he's got that provoking the jealousy ministry. And it's to the Jew first. Why? Because the Jews understood the word. And it's a lot easier to talk to people who understand the Bible than it is to the dumb-thump idol worshipers who don't. If you've talked to anybody, you kind of understand that. But it's also a little more difficult because those that know the Bible get a little more entrenched in what they know as being right. Where does he go? He goes there. They are... The parenthesis, real quick. Because a Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome, the Jews are expelled from Rome by Claudius. Now, Claudius dies in 54 AD. The next Caesar is Nero, where we are with Paul. Okay, so they get kicked out of they get kicked out of Rome. They're at Corinth, and yet Paul, Romans 16 says, "What are they? they're back in Rome? And they got a church in their house, and they're hazarding their life again." You see, they are not shocked by the persecution that comes at them. They've experienced it all their days. But instead of whining about it and complaining about it, they embraced it. And why? Because they're they're under the persecution for who? For Christ's sake. See? You follow what's happening here? That's why Paul would say in Romans 16, all the churches of the Gentiles, you need to send a thank you note to these folks. Why? Because of what they're going to do. Aquila and Priscilla, they live in Rome as a Jew. They don't go back as a Jew. They go back as members of the church, the body of Christ. Now, watch verse 3. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. Now, think about this. Here's Paul, the apostle of the Gentiles. He goes into the synagogue at Corinth, and what is he preaching? The Christ of the Old Testament, of Messiah is the savior of and he's doing he's given them his gospel he's given them the dispensational settings now what's happening why this why that and Aquila goes I like that because Aquila knows that he's a center now we Paul, you think about Paul's been preaching Romans 1 to 5 since day 1 we're proving everybody's a center now and uh, so now Paul goes home he goes hey you you got a place to stay. I want to hear more of this. No, I don't. You're coming home with me and the wife. Let's go. And oh, by the way, what kind of work do you do? I'm a Tim Oh, so are we. And well, first of all, Cool and Priscilla are business owners. And then Paul, he now, now think about the daily work that they're doing, working on the tents and having the conversations about spiritual issues. And he's doing it with Paul, the apostle who's getting it direct from, the Lord Jesus Christ. You quickly are going to figure out what's, what's up and what's not. And he does. They end up at Corinth. They're tent makers. And Paul, they have this relationship here now of intimacy. Because of that personal connection, I've told you always, Evangelism is personal. It isn't corporate and unfeeling. It's personal. It's one-on-one talking to people. Talking about dispensational Bible study is personal. We do it, you know, broad this way, but it's you really got to get into the weeds with folks. That's why I usually tell folks, You've got to give this some time. You can't just come in here at once and leave. You've got to massage it down because it's got to get down in there. Look at verse 18. Watch how personal this has gotten with Aquila and Priscilla. Now, by the way, verse 2, who is listed? Aquila, but notice how it says, with his wife, Priscilla. See how Paul's going to deal with them doctrinally, and who's listed first? He is and then her. Now I know in most relationships the wife gets it first and then the husband is slow to come along. But not always. Here it isn't. Verse 18. And Paul, after this tarried there yet a good while, and took his leave of the brethren and sailed thence into Syria. And with him Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in Censuria, for he had a vow. See that issue of who, what did they do? Paul is, okay, it's time to go. We, they've had a big uproar. See, Galio there, and they're doing all this stuff, and he, he's got the judgment seat. They take Sosthenes, verse 17, out and beat him. What's going on at Corinth? The little church of the, of the Corinthians there next door to the synagogue, and they're doing their thing, and the synagogue pastor comes over and goes, what are you doing our stuff for? And Paul hits him upside the head with 2 Timothy 2:15 and gets him going. And hey, there's none. And then now Sosthenes comes over, and then the next preacher comes in, and he comes. And what do they start doing? Pounding on him. By the way, you see Gaius there. <laughs> you know, it's all this. So underneath all of that persecution, turmoil, Paul takes his leave, and who goes with him? Priscilla and Aquila. By the way, notice Priscilla is first. Well. Who's usually the better packer to leave, the husband or the wife? Enough said. Everybody chuckles, right? We understand that, right? Oh, you, you, you can't take that one, honey. You need this one. You know. Well, they're not coming back to Corinth. So you know what they had? They had a big estate sale, sold everything, or actually probably just left it to the church there and said, you guys deal with it and put the money in the bank account. And off they went but they go with Paul. He now has traveling companions. So not only are they saved, they've come out of, uh, uh, of, uh, of Judaism into the church, the body of Christ. Now they're traveling with him. They're working with him. And I'll be honest with you, probably what compels them the most is them being a Jew, and where does Paul go first? To those synagogues. And that probably hit home with them too. You're here to help us first. You know, they have they you, you can't denate you can't deny their understanding of the Old Testament and what they knew. And off they go. Verse 19. And he came to Ephesus and left them there, but he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Think about that. He leaves them at Ephesus. Now, they go willingly with him in spite of the persecution. 2 Timothy 1, verse 8, Paul says, Be not ashamed of the, go- of the testimony of the Lord Jesus, nor of me, his prisoner. They weren't ashamed of Paul. They were right in the middle of the persecution and affliction. They got it. They understood it. They've had the Roman government on their neck, and now they've got the Jews on their neck. And it's just like another day and off they go. Verse 24. Now they're at Ephesus. Apollos, I'm sorry, and a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria. An eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures came to Ephesus. Now they're now now we've got Aquila and Priscilla in action. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom, when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, that's Corinth, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who, when he was come, helped them much which had believed through grace. Isn't that interesting? So here they are. Where are they? They're in the synagogue, and this young man, Apollos, steps up, and he is eloquent. He's mighty in the You know what he knows? He knows his Old Testament. And you know what? He, you know, people get tripped up on that. He only knows the baptism of John. The Bap, John the Baptist is a key figure in the Old Testament. He's prophesied. Isaiah does it. Other, why? Because he's the crier in the wilderness. He comes in the power and the spirit of Elijah. Remember what he's eating—the locusts and what he's and the honey—and he's got that all that. He looks like so he. It's not like he just uh, picked the. Oh, that's all I know. You know. It's significant here. In other words, Apollos is no dummy, nor is Aquila and Priscilla. They're they're right there with him. You see, they they they're in that synagogue for a reason, reasoning with the Jews. They're in there. But what I want you to notice is look at what they did, how they handle him in verse 26. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they what? Yelled at him, marched up and down, beat him over the head with the Bible? No, what'd they do? They took him unto themselves. Hey, let's go to lunch. You good? All right, you done? Let's, let's come over here. And they expounded unto him, now watch, the way of who? Of God. Now look back up, verse 25, this man was instructed in the way of the who? The way of the Lord and the way of God are different. Now they're in the same thing, but the way of the Lord, that's the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. That's him coming back as Israel's Messiah. But what's the way of God, the Father? What's the way? Hey, he's got a program for the heavenlies, too, and that's us. He's got the program, Ephesians 1.10, okay? Dispensation of fullness of time. He's going to gather all things back under the head of of Jesus Christ, both of what? On earth and in heaven. You see, the way of God, what what Aquila and Priscilla do is they take him and say, look, you've got that bright, but what you're missing is this. And they bring him up dispensationally to current time. You follow me? The only way they can do that is having the doctrine of Romans in their inner man working, especially Romans 9, 10, and 11, because who are they? They're Jews, but they're members of the body. Well, how did that happen? Well, I'm glad you asked, and off they go. By the way, how you know they they use their Jewishness to be able to walk into the temple and the synagogue not the temple, the synagogue. Because if they were a Gentile, what would that the door watcher do? You ain't allowed in here. But they don't do that. But well, what are they after? Reasoning with the they're following Paul's pattern. They learn from him. This is how we do. This is how this gets done. They're bringing him up to what God is doing today. The way of God, bringing him up more perfectly. Again, mature, maturing him up. Verse twenty-seven. He leaves. What do they do? They send a letter saying, hey, he's on our side now. Receive him. Help him out. Verse 28. For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. They were faithful. They're fearless. They're loving. They're gentle. They're hospitable. They're not confrontational here. They come in, and there they are. Now, Hold on, look over at 1 Corinthians 16, because we're at Corinth, they're at Corinth, they're at Ephesus, they went to Ephesus. Look at 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 19. Here's another mention of them. 16, 19. The churches of Asia salute you. Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord with the church that is in their house. What are they doing at Corinth? At Ephesus they got a church in their house so they take Apollos they get him brought up and they said okay listen we meet on Thursday nights over here at the house you need to come and meet the other folks hey you know we get together we do and they've got that so the obviously what are they doing they're doing the doctrine they're doing the work of the ministry they're outdoing again they're faithful they're fearless <clears throat> they're gentle they're loving they're hospitable they're doing what paul would do now look with me at romans 16 again and verse 4 romans 16 verse 4 romans 16. Who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. While there, in Acts 18, they're at, a, they're at Ephesus. In Acts 19, we have the great uproar at Ephesus. The silversmith, the greatest Diana, the greatest goddess of Diana. And they are literally trying to kill Paul and anyone associated with Paul. So when he says in 16.4 that they laid down their own necks, he's talking about the events of Acts 19 and into 20. That's where they are. That's why Paul, in the Corinthian books, talks about doing battle, and he fights evil beasts and brutes. And in in 2 Corinthians 1 there, he talks about nigh unto death. Who was there with them? Aquila and Priscilla. They're not intimidated. Come over to 2 Corinthians 1. Here's here's what's happening here. 2 Corinthians 1. They're not intimidated with what's going on. They stay the course. They leave Corinth and they go back to Rome. Rome. And why in the world would you go back to Rome when being a... And they don't go back as a Jew. They go back as a Christian. And what are they going to face? Instant persecution. Economically, life, death. They go right back into it. They don't bat an eye. Because they know the truth, and the truth works in them, is working in them. 2 Corinthians 1, this is what he was... Verse 8, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that's Acts 19, that we were pressed out of measure above strength and so much that we despaired even of life, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we would not trust in ourselves, but in the God which raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, and whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. That's where they're at. They were all in. And Paul says, they laid down their necks for me. They hazard their lives for me. And I'm thankful. But you know what? All you other churches ought to be thankful. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to have a big card. Thank you, Colin Priscilla. And we'll send it to them. No. Okay. They're not around today. The thing is, is what are they? They're faithful. They're loving. They're gentle. They're, they're hospitable. But they stay the course. Now, come on over to 2 Timothy Chapter One. Second Timothy, Chapter One, Verse Fifteen. What has happened at Asia? Second Second Timothy One Fifteen. This thou knowest that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Philelus and Hermogenes. What's going on? Paul here at Second Timothy. Come over to Chapter Four. At the end of the day, he lays out what church history is going to be like after his death. You want to know what church history is? You don't read Schaff and all those guys. Waste your time and your money. By the way, if you need, if you really want to, we have them. You can. I won't let you leave the building with them, because then I never get them back. But the thing is, is he lays it out what's coming? Apostasy. It's already set in. Chapter 4, verse 10, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world and is departed unto Thessalonica. Grecians to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia, only Luke is with me. Take Mark, that, that'll be John Mark, bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. And Tychicus have I sent to Ephesus. Isn't that interesting? The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpius, when thou comest, bring with thee. And the books, but especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Of whom be thou thou where also, for he, of whom be thou where also. T- Timothy, pay attention to this guy, he's, a, he's dangerous. For he greatly withstood our words. At my first answer, no man stood with me. What a sad commentary. The only person there is Luke. Everybody else, by the way, is either out doing work of the ministry, or have what? Forsaken Paul. But all men forsook me. I love. I pray God that I may uh, that it may not be laid to their charge notwithstanding the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me and the preaching that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me into his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever amen and he could have just stopped right there but he doesn't what does he say he says salute Prisca and Aquila, and the household of Anesophorus, Erastus abode at, at Corinth, but Trophimus have I left at Miletum sick. He, he couldn't even heal the poor guy, so healing's off the table. Do thy diligence to come before winter. <laughs> Why? you got to bring me the clothes, the cloak, man. It's going to get cold down here. My point is, is, he's all alone, and at the end of the day, who's on his mind? all those that were faithful to the end. And here's this little couple. They're still faithful to the end. So when you come back to Romans 16, likewise greet the church that is in their house. At Corinth, they had a church in the house. At Ephesus, they got a church in their house. At Rome, they got a church in the house. And again, at Ephesus, again, because that's where 2 Timothy's is what are they doing? probably got a church in the house going. And that's the whole that's the thing about it all. They're faithful to the end. And the spiritual courage that they need to face a government that's just hell-bent on killing them. That's all they is. And I don't mean to use the bad word there, but that's what it is. That's all they want to do. Is annihilate them. I I was going to read some stuff, but we don't have time. I mean, just Google it. I googled uh, persecution of the Christians in the Roman Empire. I got thirty pages. From very, I mean, they just they hated them. Until Constantine and the Edict of Milan in thirteen thirteen A.D. So no wonder the church was in their home. It was dangerous to be out and about publicly. They couldn't own property, so they could never have bought a church building or a building to have church in it. They had to be careful with that. So literally what we're reading here in Romans 16, these folks, the attributes of all those listed are faithful, loving, gentle, hospitable, spiritual courage to be associated with Paul. Because they are. So what we're literally reading about is an underground church movement. And that's where they're meeting, is in their homes. So when you read verses in here and you read these names of these folks, you ought to do what he says in the first word of each verse. Salute them. Greet them. They made the pages of God's word. And The great question then is, could you <laughs> say, "Well, there's no more God's word being written, so let's just say yes." Okay, <laughs> make ourselves feel good on this morning, Sunday morning. The thing is, is when Paul does that, he starts, he starts with Phoebe, she's a businesswoman, she's got the book, but then he talks about Aquila and Priscilla, because they're going to they're going to exemplify all of what's going on at that time. So they meet there. Now, in verse 17, Now I beseech you, the language of grace. Now he's going to give a little warning here to the saints about the coming attack. And then he's going to give a little warning about you need to protect the doctrine and so forth. And we'll get into all that next time. Okay? When we get together, we ought to remember Priscilla and Aquila from time to time. Because it's a, they're, they're a couple, a married couple, and they're faithful all the way through it. And they never dropped, they never swayed, they never said, oh, it's a bad day, Paul. No, let's just stay home. They were always there in the pages of Scripture, even at the end. I can imagine here, you know, in reading about Nero, Nero's form of justice was, I said it, do it. No no, three appeals and two court sessions. And they had a court system, but Nero overrode that. And with Paul, and again, we think Paul was killed by Nero. We don't really know. Again, Scripture is silent that way. And history is probably the case. They actually attribute Peter's uh, martyrdom to Nero as well. I don't know how they do it, but they do. But anyway... I think about Paul there in 2 Timothy 4. He's just laying down for the night, and he's writing, finishing up the the letter. And he says, hey, salute, remember. And then they come and get him the next morning and put his head on the chopping block. Because that's how Nero operated. Paul lived, the last days of Paul's life, he lived in total unknowing what was coming at him from day in and day out. They would just literally... Come in, get him, and go. And that was just how he dealt with them because he was a Christian. And we know Christians are bad. And off they go. Okay? By the way, when the pandemic hit, I did a little study on my own about the pandemics in the Roman Empire in the first century. And the group that helped the most were the Christians. Because Rome didn't understand. They thought it was a pro- the gods were getting them. So they would literally take the sick and put them out in the curb, in the gutter, which is where all the household sewage went down the street and so forth. They would go out, and put them out there, and just leave them out there to die. Pick them up in the next morning and tote them down and burn them. But the Christians would come by and pick them up and take them home and take care of them, get them back to bed. So the populace had turned in favor of Christianity because they saw the the help and the the... I mean, even if they died, they died in comfort, <laughs> being comforted, but it was very fascinating how the pandemic, uh, and they, they had about one every month or something, because these guys would go off in the foreign lands, come back, bring stuff. They didn't know what it was and, or anything, and, and uh, get them. So anyway, I digress. Let's let's go have some coffee and some donuts now, or whatever's over there. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word, and Lord, we thank you for... A passage like this in, in Romans, as we see the people who, in the moment, stood for the Word, gave their lives for the Word, and, and uh, we would just pray that we would have that same courage if the day were to come for us. In your name we pray.